Welcome to episode 90 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast and after another extended hiatus, I welcome Darren Hill back to the microphone. Daz, how, how have you been and how have you enjoyed the bubble basketball thus far? Oh, Daz, I won't lie. It was just good to have NBA basketball back. Um, so yeah, I was deep into it, Daz. I've watched watched a lot of ball as much as I can. Yeah, it's been yeah. In, in the all things considered, and what's happening in America, it's been uh, you know, it's been fun to watch. It's been fun. What's been your take? I mean, we won't get far away from the basketball too much, but what's been your take of what's going on in America, uh, sitting here from afar? Because obviously, you you have much more personal relations, personal feelings about uh, what's going yeah. on in America than I do. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's it's still a pretty stressful time and there's a lot of conversations around not even sending kids back to school. You know, I haven't been to school since March Daz. you know, like it's been massively long hiatus. And then, yeah, there's still something like 50 or 60,000 people a day catching the virus and a thousand people a day, as they say, new deaths, you know, um, as compared to old deaths, these are new deaths. So more, more than a thousand people a day and, and 50,000, thousand people a day dying and 50,000 a day getting the virus. So just in that context, I think we saw in the report yesterday is there's been exactly zero, right? There's been zero cases of COVID in the NBA bubble, which is truly remarkable. And a lot of what we, you know, a lot of us were holding our breath, I'm sure, right? Like, oh my God, mm. there's just so many ways that the bubble can be pierced and things can go wrong. And my goodness, it has been air, you know, airtight, hermetically sealed bubble, so far and yes we've had a couple of some guys have some personal issues and had to leave like trez on trez harrell had a you know his grandmother you know i think passed away um zion has some weird shit going on he had to leave the bubble jamal crawford was it no sorry i'm sorry jamal lou williams famously shows up at an atlanta strip club you know um uh, on his way back from a funeral so we had some bubble leakages but they didn't really bring anything into the bubble so that's where this entire thing begins and ends, Daz, doesn't it? Which is the, they've had zero cases now and they've been in the bubble for almost a month, a month straight. And uh, yeah, that just says all systems go as we enter the playoffs. Well, it's generally been down to the, the discipline, hasn't it, of, of the players and of the officials. And I think the fact that they did take a little bit longer to make sure this has been set up you're now seeing the results of that, that you can get through this first period uh, of the embassies with no cases. And, and given the state of America at the moment, I think that's a, a quite an extraordinary result uh, for the NBA uh, to come it, along. It is. It, it is. And, you know, it is remarkable. And again, it's easy to compare, you know, here, obviously, with going on with the, with the various codes of football and, and things happening. But obviously, the more re- relevant context is what's going on in Major League Baseball, you know, where they've had multiple teams having massive outbreaks, which has completely disrupted the seasons in baseball. Now, granted, baseball is marked by um, what would kindly be called systemic incompetence and very adversarial labor management relations between, you know, the owners and the players union. And that that clown car of a sport has you know, teams flying all over the country as playing in empty stadiums, but they're they're flying all over the place and staying in hotels and just you know, they're not, they're not living by a bubble, you know? So, so the NBA needs to be commended um, for, for the health and the safety first and foremost. Um, that's, that's, that's number one. And then just, just the fact, I don't know about you, but the, I've kind of gotten really 
quite accustomed to the game day experience. Yes, it's there's no fans, but once the ball is tipped, you know, I think the games are, I think we'll see the, obviously the intensity, you know, ramp up, you know, probably tenfold now that this regular season's coming to an end. But I think from a fan perspective, the game day experience has been fine. You know, they've got the, the digital fans in the crowd, you know, so the digital fans, you know, showing up on the screen, which, which I don't mind, actually, it's a bit of, bit of fun, a bit of distraction. Um, the players have heard, I'm sure you've heard many times, I think the data is going to prove it out. These are very shooter-friendly environments. And you've seen, I think, shot percentages and three-point shooting in particular has has ticked up massively in the bubble. Because these are small arenas, there are no, there's no distractions from the crowd. There's perfect sight lines. There's black, you know, easy depth perception and, and sort of framing the hoop. And, and so I think there's been a, also from a player's perspective, you know, it's kind of changing the dynamic there. Um, but it's it's been a scoring has been up and shooting has been up that's for sure. So all in all, Daz, you know, again coming down to the end of the season, just like in March and April, these games tend to not be very meaningful. And the teams like the Bucks and the Lakers and the Clippers all barely played their stars. And they both the Bucks and the Lakers went three and five, you know, um, in the eight games. But obviously, where where all the interest was at was you know just watching teams watching injury right and, and seeing who's going to be fit and who's healthy to, to kind of use the bubble to ramp up to the playoffs but then this you know a uh, secondary fund has been this chase for the the eight nine seed in the west which was always going to be a you know um a bit of a a, a bit of a crapshoot so looks like that's just come to a conclusion today as well so all in all fan experience very positive i think the players are getting accustomed to the courts i'm sure the bunch of them are getting stir crazy you know, um, doing the same shit every day. Um, that being said, it's kind of like what we used to talk about in Green Bay Packers land, which is, well, there's nothing else to do in Green Bay, so you might as well focus on football. And there's nothing else to do in the bubble, so you might as well focus on, on basketball. So I think you're going to see the competitive juices uh, just the same as we've always seen, if not even more intensified as these guys sort of stay on the campus and get so bloody familiar with each other. So I'm really looking forward to the playoffs, Daz. really am. Oh, I think it's definitely been the shooters, Jim. I mean, and we've seen that TJ Warren's probably the guy that stood out the most. But obviously Lillard and Booker mm. uh, have been on fire as well. And even a team like the Spurs that didn't shoot a lot of threes, didn't shoot threes well uh, during the regular season, were hitting the, the long ball with a lot more regularity once they got into the, the bubble basketball. But I think one of the more interesting things too was... To see a team like Ronto come in, who are just rolling at the moment, and I think that yeah. Toronto are just playing at the same level every game. You know, there's another, oh, we're going to ramp it up. You see so many teams in the NBA have got this on-off switch, whereas Toronto are just one of those teams that just go, we're going to play the same every night, we're going to be steady, you know, and, and when they're steady, they're not the best team in the NBA, but, you know, and they're obviously a long way from the worst team in the NBA. I'm going to be interested to see how that consistency plays out for them once the playoffs start. And and do they have another level that they can go to um, if challenged by, and, and Milwaukee obviously the, the key challenger to them in the Eastern Conference. But I look at this team and I'm, I'm seeing a lot of Detroit Pistons 04, 05 about them in the fact that I think in 04, people thought, well, that was fun for Detroit. They got mm. up and won the title. Lakers were about to fall over. You know, but but they're going to go away in 05. And of course, 05, they came back and very nearly won it again. And if not for, you know, Bob Ory catching fire in game five, they would have won back-to-back titles. 
that's the sort of sense I get about this team. You know, I, I was one of the people that thought, look, they're going to enjoy their victory lap this year, but they're not going to be really a contender again without Kawhi. I'm starting to rethink that, Daz. I think they could go all the way to the NBA Finals, and they're certainly the only team in the East that I look at as a, as a true challenger to Milwaukee at this stage. Yeah, I, uh, I, um, I'm with you. Like, having, again, obviously having watched every second of that going back to the playoff series against Milwaukee, right, with, with Kawhi last year, I, I, and then drawing the thread to what this team looks like today. I've said it back then, and I said it over the offseason, I said it all during the season, is the Kawhi narrative overwhelmed the Kawhi performance. Kawhi was very, very good, no question about it. But he wasn't a one-man band the way we've seen LeBron carry, you know, Cleveland teams or the way we see Giannis carry the Bucs, right? He was not a one-man band. That was a very, very deep and versatile team in Toronto last year. And the reason they beat the Bucs is they were bleeping consistent for 48 minutes. The Bucs had a higher high. No question the ceiling in the Bucs was higher than even last year's Raptors, and they are this year's Raptors, but they often can't sustain it. They have these gaps, these lapses of two, three, four minutes, four, five, six possessions where it's where it's the Chris Boucher's or Terrence Davis or an OG Ananobi or Norman Powell who will, will rip your heart out or Fred Van Vliet. And that's what we've seen carry over as I go. The narrative for Kawhi overwhelmed his performance, right? It really, truly did. And that's why this Toronto team was probably underestimated at the beginning of the season. And now having watched them here in the bubble, is that's what's going to be their their key to success and what's unique about them is their defensive versatility right they can play tough at the point of attack with kyle and og they can play drop stuff with surge and gasol right who's elite as a defensive center and then they put these bench units on and have these switchable long rangey dudes from ronda hollis jefferson and chris boucher and um i'm missing someone but those two guys in particular, um, they can throw out all kinds of different ways to beat you defensively. And then they use that defense to turn into in, turn into offense. And they are a legitimate, legitimate threat to Milwaukee. That's not just lip service. Is the Bucks have way more ways to score. And of course, their ceiling is higher on offense. But I fear, genuinely fear Toronto's versatility on defense. And again, for 48 minutes, Nick Nurse can find the right guy, the right combination, the right play, the right lineup, the right matchup. Like I've, he's got more to play with, I, I think, than, than, than we've given him uh, the Raptors credit for throughout the season. So, well, that's the um, thing. I think they, they've got agree. they've yeah. got the highest floor. I think of any team in the NBA at the moment. Um, but of the contenders, probably the lower ceiling, and that's going to be the fascinating thing. Is, is that consistency of we're going to stay at this certain level? across a seven-game series where you're seeing teams now, and maybe, again, it's just the end of the season and the fact that it's in the bubble, but we're seeing you know wild fluctuations in performance from individuals and from and from certain teams. Are they going to be, you know, are you going to be able to get away with that in a seven-game series? Because I guarantee you, if you play a bad game against Toronto, that's a loss, 100%. You cannot play a bad game uh, and... and you're going to boot, think you're going to boot the Raptors. So you've got to bring it um, consistently. So that's that's the big question to me as we go into this uh, to see can Milwaukee particularly maintain a level of well, performance? Yeah. And, and can they... The, the question I have with the Bucks is are they going to be able to get buckets in a close game 
one possession game, three minutes to go, what does that offense look like? That, that to me, is the question that's that's going to be answered to decide whether the Milwaukee Bucks uh, make the NBA Finals and win the NBA Finals or are just another footnote in history. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's that. And on the flip side, right, as I – Toronto – does have offensive limitations, right? Like it will, the Bucks are historically elite at protecting the paint and protecting the rim. That's not Toronto's strength anyway. And so even more so than last year, it's going to be relegated to drive and dish and can, can Toronto shoot outlier performance from three again? And that for me is the other worry about having a shooter's gym like this. That doesn't favor Milwaukee. A shooter's gym favors the shooters. The Bucks' entire defense is engineered to let above the break threes occur. Right, it's 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 engineered to stop everything in the paint, and you, if you can beat us from three, you can beat us from three. And so that for me is what that would be the key. That's the key is can Toronto just again knock down, knock down more shots, and they have more guys who are good three point shooters than than most teams do. So that that I think Toronto's scoring ability in the first three quarters, you know, <laughs> probably not terrific, but they're going to find a hot hand. And, and that's that's the that's the advantage of having that ten deep bench, and most of them can shoot. So they're a legitimate threat. And that would be from the East, probably the one team whose stock has probably even risen more than Indiana's stock. Who, if you want to talk about that, has had quite an interesting bubble experience. But uh, I can't say it sickens me to say it. But I can't say enough good things about the bleeping Raptors. Well, let's have a look at the bubble record because uh, the, the obviously the interesting thing that happened within the bubble. Uh, was the race for that number eight seed in the West, which is probably not going to mean a hell of a lot, given that the Lakers are are, are going to win that series, you'd imagine, in four to five games. Um, What what jumped out at me from the East certainly was the Raptors and TJ Warren at at the paces, and we might come back to that when we do a bit of a playoff preview. Uh, Looking at that... that, Western Conference eight seed though it was interesting. I mean the the Suns go eight and two uh, eight and zero, uh, the Blazers go six and two, the Spurs ended up five and three but played their backups today because they were out. So I dare say they could have easily gone six and two, uh, and lost a really tough one uh, to to the to the Sixers, which probably ended up hurting their play or killing yeah. off their playoff chances, uh, and the Grizzlies fell to pieces. Uh, they ended up going to two and six. Thankfully for them, they steadied enough today to boot the the Giannis less bucks uh, to make that that play in. But have you caught any of the sort of basketball of those four teams particularly, and particularly I guess the teams Blazers, Spurs, and and Suns that came in and uh, and played above the level that we saw from them in the regular season? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I, I, a lot. So just starting with the Grizz, right? I think they came in obviously with this big lead, but but the most difficult schedule, which proved out. And then obviously the devastating injury to Jaron Jackson Jr. It sounds like a meniscus tear, which, you know, a lot of players come back and have normal careers. Eric Bledsoe is the one closest to home for me. So you can come back from meniscal tears if they're not too bad. So lucky that he avoided severe knee injury, but that's a massive, massive loss for me. That clearly stands out for them. Um, Dylan Brooks has his, stepped up his game a bit, but the loss of Jackson just shows just how shallow a team like Memphis is. They just don't have the depth on that roster just to sustain, you know, 48 minutes of quality ball. So I expect them to have a whimper here, you know, in this little, in this seeding game, or the, what do they call it? The play-in, the play-in game? The play-in game, yeah. The, so they've got to beat, the play-in game, they've yeah. got to beat Portland, Portland twice. Now. Yeah. 
I don't I don't imagine that's going to happen. That being said, Portland, Portland, right, one of the rare teams who um, who've gotten uh, both Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic back, so uh, quote unquote benefited from the massive layoff from from the COVID shutdown, is having two players with severe injuries come back, and they've made massive impacts. Nurkic, in particular, has played far more minutes than I ever thought. So Portland's certainly probably the, the the talk of the almost the talk of the bubble really because it won the composition of their team has changed. This has given them a chance to, to gel that team together. And then secondly, the emergence of a guy like Gary Trent Jr. So I'm not sure if you watched much of him, Daz. I, I'll be honest, he was a, an afterthought for me this season. But he's shooting 40-some percent on nearly five attempts per game and lit it up in the bubble. And so when Dame and CJ now have a, a reliable a third option to, to, to shoot from downtown, he was 34 out of 67, so just over 50% from the bubble from three-point land in the eight bubble games. So that, for me, has been a nice story. Uh, so Portland doesn't play any defense, Daz, and so I'm not terribly concerned if I'm Los Angeles, but you're going to have to earn it against Dame and CJ, especially with Dame in the way he's playing, averaging, what, almost 40 points a game for the bubble. So um, Portland's kind of been a fun story, but I don't think they're – I don't think they've got like a an upset in them or a run to the East to the West in the conference finals like they had last year. Um and then, yeah, I saw some San Antonio, I think probably more early in the bubble when they, we probably thought their chances were, were, were a little bit um, little bit greater. I just, as Portland got hot and Phoenix got hot, I sort of, I don't know about you, Des, but I kind of just thought their chances were, I didn't think they were going to come through. But uh, yeah, again, you could probably talk about that, but I've seen guys like Derek White and DeJounte and Kelvin Johnson. He's the guy that stood out for me. Like he's probably, what, 10th on your depth chart, 12th or something like that, right? He's gotten a lot of, gotten a lot of run and looks like a player does. So kind of maybe the thread from the, from these, these teams has been the, I guess the, the depth they've had and the, and the emergence of players you wouldn't normally have seen if this was just March or April basketball and had this continuity it would have been right. The, the same, the same rotations, the same rosters. I think that the four month layoff has allowed them to dig deeper into the benches and see guys um, emerge a bit. So that's been, that's been for me one of the cool things about the, the race for the eight seed. Yeah, the Spurs finished their season is, as I said in that Philly loss. Uh, they led by four with just over a minute to go, and then uh, some some pretty yeah. poor defensive decisions, and uh, you know a couple of uh, unfortunate um, offensive plays. Pirtle missed the layup, which he probably should have dunked uh, in a one point game, which would have would have won them the game. In the end, and if they win that, they're in the eight seed, uh, in the eight spot. So it sort of come down to one game. But you know, it, yeah. it probably came down to ten games before that that they blew uh, earlier in the season. But certainly some positive signs from some of the young guys, Kelvin Johnson, who you mentioned, um, Derek White, Murray looked good. I think I thought Lonnie Walker looked good. He just can't shoot, but he, his court vision and his ability to get to the rim was outstanding uh, in those games. So. The, the big decision for San Antonio is going to be, does the, the um, DeMar DeRozan come back or not? I'm actually hearing reports he won't be back, but I, I can't see why he would turn is down this that a player, player option? option. Yeah, I don't know why he'd turn down the player yeah. option at this stage. So I would expect he's back, um, and I'd expect them to run it back for one more year. But but it, but certainly expect the young guys uh, to play more basketball. And they certainly were playing more of a quote-unquote modern style of basketball uh, during those eight games in the bubble. Uh, but I, I, I do tend yeah. to think... The, the six and two records are a little bit. Oh, so I'm 
giving them a six and two record. It actually ended up being five and three, but um, that was a, a bit of a um, a bit misleading in the fact that a couple yeah. of the teams they played were running out second string lineups, and you go, well, of course they were going to win that anyway. So I'm not sure how much we learned, but it is nice to see guys that you go, okay, that's an NBA player. The big thing for the Spurs is they've got no star, and that's where Portland and, and Phoenix really stood up and said, well, Devin Booker certainly looked like a star in this eight-game sample size. Let's see what happens over 82 games next season. And we already know that Dame Lillard is one of the top players in the NBA and no doubt will win the award, uh, I think, for player of the of the bubble, unless they want to give it to Devin Booker as a bit of a consolation prize for Phoenix missing out um, on the place. I, I think you're right, too. I can't see Memphis beating Portland twice. That's how the 8-9... The Matchup has been set up. No None of I, I can't even see him beating him once, score. to be honest. Yep. But I can't. I certainly can't see him beating no. him twice. So I think that that leads us. I think we can we can sort of look now at the playoff picture. Yeah. And uh, be pretty confident. Just to wrap, sorry, just to wrap. I, what, Lakers. Yep. Sorry, we got a little bit of delay here, Daz. I was like, just to round out, just to finish off the the race for the eight seed. Right, we're coming into this. Right, New Orleans was all the conversation. Right, and obviously the the um, hot garbage hype machine called ESPN was hyping up <laughs> and changing the NBA schedule to promote, obviously, Zion playing. And I don't know if you watched Zion play much, Daz, but he didn't look right. His conditioning didn't look right. His He looks complete. Like, think about Jabari Parker on his worst day on defense. Like, his head is on a swivel. He misses cutters. He misses help. He misses box out. He is absolutely lost on defense, Daz. Now, when he does play his 20, 25 minutes a night, he's, he can be a force. He was very efficient, but my oh my, he doesn't. He looks a long distance away from the jumping out of the gym Zion we saw at Duke. So I don't know what – that's certainly going to be a massive story. It'll be thrust in our face, but I'm just putting a ribbon around this season for New Orleans. Very, very disciplined of finish. Um, and aside from J.J. Redick, their bench was non-existent. Ingram didn't distinguish himself. Lonzo looked like he'd taken four months off and didn't see a basketball. It was a, that team looked not ready to play. And so Amber flags on Zion Williamson for sure. And I think um, if Alvin Gentry is not on the hottest seat in the NBA, I don't, I don't know who is. I can't see see how they bring Alvin Gentry back after that. To be honest, I mean, that was, I mean, they came in with it was embarrassing. Say, yeah. and, and I said to you, I couldn't understand why is Zion sitting out at the end of these games. And I, I only, I think I caught their first game against Utah and he was sitting towards the end of that game. And I thought, that's weird. And then I actually watched them more closely when they played the Spurs. And as he was gassed after like four minutes and the sweat was just absolutely totally. pouring off him, he was. He was really struggling out there. Um, and it was like, you know, I, I sort of looked at it and thought, this guy's just not not in NBA shape. And Lonzo, his touch had deserted him. Ingram was sort of floating around. Ingram, Ingram sort of looks like a bit of a Wiggins knockoff at the moment. That's sort of where his career seems to be going. Um, JJ Reddick was the only guy that, to me, <laughs> that looked... That looked engaged and Match looked like, yeah, yeah, he he was right yeah. in there. So, and, and Gentry's trying to pull all these different strings. I mean, Derek Favors, who's a you know NBA veteran, he looked out of shape to me. So I sort of thought, yeah, that that was a some really bad signs for Alvin Gentry's future 
with that franchise, given that you look at what Monty Williams was able to do with yeah. Phoenix and yeah. Phoenix come in breathing fire. You talked about Mikhail Bridges before we got in there. Like that that dude, you talk about looking like an NBA player. He looks like, you know, he might be even more than that. He could be a borderline all-star if he keeps up that sort of level of performance for a yeah. full season next year. And guess what, Daz? Campaign came on today and Campaign was looking like an NBA player, which which was one of the most shocking things that I yeah, saw in shocking. the shocking shocker yeah like i had uh, didn't he wasn't he like the, the seventh the seventh string point guard in chicago for a while exactly behind like kirk heinrich and michael carlians and right, the ghost of derrick rose like yeah campaign was a shocker but let, just to just to put the um let me kick some sand on on the uh the 2019 2020 new orleans pelican season on the coffin you know zion right just giving the my favorite stat, I think, from the bubble was he played 105 minutes, had zero steals and zero blocks, Daz. Mm. He played, for example, he played 22 minutes against the, the tiny Sacramento Kings. Oh, by the way, they gave up 140 to Sacramento Kings, starting the, the fearsome front line of Nemanja Bielitsa and Rashawn Holmes. And Zion mustered all of two rebounds mm. in that game. Good, very efficient on the offensive end. He can bully his way. It was 10 for 12, but he was gassed. He was a minus 12. And did absolutely nothing, both on the defensive glass and doing anything defensively. It's an absolute sieve, you know. And that that so those, the games I remember of Zion were the, the, that Sacramento game, and then it was the I think it was the very first opening night game against Utah, where again I think he was like a yeah it was a minus sixteen in a in a two point game, and, it, and it, that's that was also the eye test would back that up. He just was Utah had their way and would make their way to the lane with easy sort of pick and rolls and finishes and cuts when he's in there. He's just, he's an absolute negative on defense. And that was a massive difference in that game, which would have you know, just got them off on the bad, sort of on a bad start. So uh, rest in peace, New Orleans, probably rest in peace, um, uh, Alvin Gentry. But, um, but boy, it, it's hard to say though. The whole, the whole future depends on Zion's health and his fitness, does it? But, doesn't it? But they do have a lot of assets if they want to go in a bunch of different directions. So, well, quick question. Like total doom and gloom. Quick question without notice. If we're holding the draft again today, who do you take first, Zion Williamson or Ja Morant? Well, that's a really good question. Like, if you, um, so if what you're saying is that pretend these two guys played this season in, um, in college and Zion had another knee injury and was gassed at the end of the season. Uh, boy, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> Would you, wouldn't you love to be a GM, hey? Because so, again, I think because I do, yeah. Wouldn't you love to be a GM? Yeah. Uh, his skill set still is more unique than than Jaws, but I, I probably would go Jaw. I think there's again a lot more. And this is a, one of the many Twitter debates you can get into over the bubble period, and certainly in the off season was this Harden, the Harden versus Curry all-time argument and there's a whole hardened camp out there but there's so many ways you can build a team around john morant there's only there's only certain types of teams you can build around zion right and so i go that's why i think a playmaking dynamic point guard like jaw who i bet could play off ball daz i bet he could play with a you know with a brogdon or a cj or something like that like that type of player a bogdan bogdanovich and he could play off ball and be electric you know attacking the rim and and a cutting and stuff like that. So <laughs> I just love his game for its versatility, but yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, if I was Von Fotch, I'd, I'd probably go with Jaw. Um, but I'm I'm a guy who likes to try and build complete teams. I probably maybe at the the detriment of going for the guy with the biggest upside, which still would be Zion. I don't know. What about you? Would you I'd go with Jaw. over Zion. This is what worries yeah. me about Zion more than anything else. I just don't see a competitive. I I I don't see the competitive instinct in him, Daz. I don't. I just. I mean, am I missing something? I mean, do you do you sort of see the same thing? I just don't see a guy that wants to really wants to get out there and win basketball games every single night. Oh God, it's, that's hard to dive into the psyche of a guy. But I'm with. I know what that looks like. I know what you're asking me, and I don't want to say he's he's big Andrew Wiggins, who everyone worried about from the draft at Kansas. Was he just didn't have that alpha, that fire, that Jimmy Butler. Giannis Embiid, you know that that burning the Kobe the fill in the blank that 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 the desire to wake up every day and fucking kill your competitor. I don't see that. I don't Daz. And again, I I don't want to get hypothesized too deeply, but uh, someone's going to do some research somewhere that says the the most the most elite elite athletes tend not to develop the work habits and the desire to improve because it's so easy for them. Even at Duke, it was so easy for Zion. He could just run around free as a bird, not thinking about anything, barely having to think at all about team defense or or the context or what was going on. Just go out and be Zion and go dominate, right? And I go, that's why I think the, the delta for him, the gap for players like him and Wiggins, if they don't have that, that burning Jimmy Butler's ire to fucking kill your opponent, that could lead to problems. That could lead to plateauing and becoming Jeff Green or Andrew Wiggins. It, it can. But granted, his floor is higher than those two guys. But yeah, Daz, I think that's a it's a fair question. It's a fair question. Well, I think but and the big the, the flip side of that it goes. Yeah, I guess the flip side of that, and giving a bit, a bit of benefit of the doubt, like the, he's really young, right? Like we like we bagged on. I certainly bagged on Brandon Ingram and countless other like eighteen, nineteen to come into the league and just look completely overwhelmed is might his confidence and might that aggression emerge from him as he gets more skilled, as he understands the game better and his school better and gets another hundred, you know, 150 games under his belt. as another few thousand minutes on the court as the game slows down for him and he feels better about his place winning and losing. So Zion three years from now could be right big Charles Barkley like we all wished him to be so I say yes at the moment I think it's definitely amber flags it's not red flags but it's something to watch there's also something going on it also might be something he's involved in this lawsuit I'm not sure if you've been following this but the lawsuit with the agent back you know at Duke and um it's ugly right and we had they gave no indication the New Orleans Pelicans gave no indication about why Zion had to leave the bubble for personal reasons. Usually it's something serious, like Montrez Harrell had to go back for the, his grandmother was deathly ill. They didn't give any details about it. Uh, there's speculation that he had to go back to, to Carolina to deal with this bloody legal issue as well. Mm. So I just think there's a, there could be a lot of shit happening to Zion as well at this point in his life. So um, definitely way too early to write him off or put him in the Wiggins camp. But absolutely worrying signs for sure you'd have to be gnashing your teeth if you're david um if you're david griffin yeah i, th I think the the question always was going to be how 
uh, he adjusted from college life to the NBA life. And you'd have to say the early returns uh, that he hasn't adjusted all that well um, from, from playing boys to playing men now. Um, so that's certainly what something to watch. Um, but I agree. I mean, it, I'm riding the guy off by any means. I think there's a long, long way to go. Um, in his career, and I think I'm not putting his mentality in the Andrew Wiggins category either, but uh, I wonder if it's more a Jabari Parker type mentality um, where you're just not quite, you know, you just don't quite have that killer instinct. Um, although obviously Jabari had some plenty of excuses as to why his career hasn't panned out. I'll tell you another guy, just before we get on to the playoffs too, another guy that reminded me a lot of Jabari Parker was uh, Michael Porter. Uh, just from the offensive end. Did you catch any of Michael Porter's basketball in the bubble? Because I'll tell you what, uh, offensively... Shit, I forgot about Porter. Yeah, he, he's yeah, the number 15 scorer, and uh, he really jumped off the screen in the games I watched. He looked terrific, Naz. He doesn't have the explosion that I can... Just comparing it to you know the, the video from a few years ago or before Missouri, before he had that uh, the knee injury, then a back injury. So he's not explosive, but man, the skill... And I, I mean this in the in the most positive light. He looks, he plays a lot like, like from my perspective, he looks a lot like, like prime Carmelo Anthony, this long, rangy guy who can get his shot anywhere on the floor, who can rise up over anybody, has this beautiful, is a beautiful, this linear sort of really quick stroke on his jumper as well, Daz. And so he's got shades of, um, of of young mellow in his game, which are, which are exciting. And my goodness, if he's for real, the ceiling on that team changes entirely. I mean, that, that changes everything about, about the Denver Nuggets and, and their possibilities for, you know, for the next few years. But yeah, he was a delight to watch jazz. He also a decent rebounder. Now getting a lot to be desired on the defensive end, of course, like a lot of these young guys are. Um, so Denver's going to have its challenges on the interior, but man, is he electric on the offensive end? Did you get to watch much of him? Did you see some? I did, actually. I saw probably more of Denver than I saw of any other team outside of San Antonio. So he really yeah. jumped out to me as a player. I went, wow. Like you would have been hoping from Denver's point of view, you saw something. And that. I mean, they obviously got a little bit from bowl bowl, but nothing to get too excited about there, I don't think. Um, although, you know, obviously next season is going to be critical for his development. Um, yeah. But Michael Porter coming out and then, being one of the, the their top scorer um, in the in the bubble, and also weren't one of the top scorers overall. Um, that that would have been fantastic. That the the question for them is going to be how do they integrate him in the the offense once Jamal Murray and Gary Harris come back in, um, because they haven't been a part of their their team so far in the bubble. But I've yeah. got a feeling yeah. Denver might be able to play a bit of your turn, my turn, just in that pick and roll Jokic, where it's will ride Porter if he's hot or will ride Murray if he's hot because Murray's infamously hot and cold and it might be a matter for Mike Malone. You might see Jamal Murray sit in some of those playoff games, Daz, where he just says, Jamal hasn't got it going tonight. We're going to ride with you know um, with, with Morris, say, at, uh, at point guard and Michael Porter Jr. is going to be the focal point of the offense because Jokic is yeah. always going to play that facilitator role. So it does open up some interesting options. Whether Mike Malone is going to have the, the, the wherewithal to, to play it out that way from the coaching point of view, that might be the big question. Yeah, that would take some guts to bench your the guy you just signed to a super max or the max contract, right? And sitting, sitting Jamal Murray. But I, I hear you. Look, 
I, I, you're right. There's not enough balls to go around, and it's now we're starting to see why they got rid of um, um, what's his name, Malik Beasley and Hernan Gomez, two very good, solid, offensive-minded uh, rotation players who they got rid of for picks, you know, and sent them off to Minnesota. Is this very reason, right? You first mentioned Will Barton. I think Barton missed some time as well. There's just a lot of shooters on that team, and just not enough, you know, not enough ball to go around. But, um, oh, yeah. Look, Denver's so frustrating, Daz. Like, I I think they're going to be this classic case in how bad is Jamal Murray's contract? Will that contract, particularly with the dropping salary cap, right? How bad of an anchor is that going to be on them? Question mark. And therefore, then how much upside is he going to develop? Because they're going to be so strapped to add anything of value around a team that could be knocking on the door if MPJ is as good as we think he could be when they have a a guy making $36 million a year who's, let's be honest, is he any better than Malcolm Brogdon at $20 million? (laughs) Right? And Brogdon might be a little bit overpaid. I truly think Jamal Murray is worth about $20 million a year. So I think they got... 15 18 million in excess value lost on his contract that for me is the big question of that team is what do you do with him you've got to give him every chance to to live up to this contract and play into a you know play role that they imagine for him and the question will be does that come out the expense of porter i think it's a very fair question mm-hmm. and um no i have no idea how malone's going to play it probably easier here in the playoffs to just play the hot hand you know not a lot of pressure this year but i think it becomes a lot harder next season well i think the thing the thing about both players is if they're not giving it to you on the offensive end you're almost better to sit them because you've got better defensive options sitting on the bench potentially in guys like Millsap and monte morris and and guys like that that can actually come in and 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 play on the defensive end if you're not making it because i think murray or porter's got to be the focal point of the offense they obviously can't both be the focal point of the offense at the same time. So it's, and obviously whoever is the focal point is playing that pick and roll game with Jokic. So that's where the balancing act comes that you really can't have them both on the court at the same time. Uh, You know, with, with one of them, not really just being a spectator on the, on on an offensive trip down the floor because likely they're going to be targeted um, at the other end of the floor. I mean, you get Porter and Murray in the pick and roll at the other end, like let's say you know AD and, and and LeBron get them two in the pick and roll down the other end of the court, it's going to be two points every time, maybe three. So that that's the that's the problem I think, and that's the balancing act that, that, that a lot of these coaches have to go through. Um, let's turn our folks now, Daz, to the playoffs, and I, and I don't mean to spend a lot of time on on all of these matchups because I think they're they're going to be pretty self-explanatory. We'll start in the East, which is always the least interesting conference. I'm sure you agree. Uh, of the two uh, first is the the one v eight yeah did you see anything from the orlando magic and and you know really shocking news with the orlando magic that jonathan isaac goes down in in the bubble games have you seen anything to give you a moment's pause that bucks would even lose one game to the magic in this series well it's it's more the <coughs> sorry the, the the headline or the that we might remember this playoff series for, which is the you know, how the Bucks fans might remember COVID and the impact it had on our season was, you know, you, you get the one seed and you're rewarded by playing Orlando in Orlando, <laughs> you know, for the first <laughs> round of the playoffs. And, you know, basically losing home court. Um, 
look, the uh, the news of of course was Jonathan Isaac devastating um, non-contact um, ACL injury, which raised all kinds of questions about um, should he have come back because he had the knee problem all the time uh, early in the season. I'm sure you remember. Yeah. I think he was out actually when the season was 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 suspended, and uh, so. A lot of questions are going to be asked around him and his people, his manager, the medical staff. No doubt that is a devastating loss in particular because it's looking like Mo Bamba's not really, you know, I don't want to call him a bust, but he's looking closer to a bust than um, even a rotation player. And so, I, th- I mean, the future kind of hinged on on, on development of, of Isaac. So that's the number one story. The number two story was then um, the thug uh, Kyle Lowry, um, Aaron Gordon is airborne and Lowry rips his arm down and no attempt going for the ball and and Gordon strained a hamstring and I don't know how bad the injury is. I haven't checked on this for a couple of days, but that sent you know that sent the basketball universe into its usual spin cycle of you know a lot of people barricading for and sort of defending the the tough kid from from the streets of Philly and you know you can't take the take, can't take the guy take the guy out of the hood but not the hood out of the guy sort of language. And just the, the absolute, un, inarguably dirty play that it was just to rip Gordon's arm down. So um, those were the two sad highlights, Daz, of Orlando was the controversial injury to Gordon and the injury to Isaac. So um, other than that, no, Daz, I haven't watched. Why would you? I wouldn't. I didn't watch them in the regular season. Um, there's nothing interesting about them. Markel Fultz hasn't taken a step. So no, that'll be a gentleman's sweep or a sweep, uh, no doubt. Uh, no um, chance that Michael Carter Williams box- gets hot for four games. <laughs> for four possessions, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, if he's defended by by Eric Bledsoe, <laughs> you know, maybe he can get inside Bledsoe's head what Terry Rozier did, and you know, and uh, and uh, become MVP of the series. But nah, Daz, there's been nothing interesting about the Magic. It's just again, the more interesting questions for them is about the longer term. You know, they signed Vooch this giant contract. Now Isaac is out. You know, what are they going to do? You know, he's going to probably miss miss the entire season next year and miss at least 12 months, right? And God, that's just that's just so tough for for roster building when you've got a player like that going through an ACL and having lived with, with Jabari and the Bucks. you know, who's going to rise above them to, um, you know, to see, to, 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 to carry them forward. I think Aaron Gordon was one of the most likely trade candidates, you know, in the off season, but I think the, the the Isaac injury changed that equation entirely. So zero things interesting about Orlando here in the short term, but they are still an interesting team, I guess, from the off season perspective and roster building. But no, that there won't be much of a series there, Dallas. What are you looking for from that the Bucks said, ter- in that series? Execution. They've looked really they look really loose. They're turning the ball over a lot. So, you know, they're still the Bucks. They're still their system. And, you know, Giannis and, and Brooke are unbelievable in the interior. So, um, but they just, I just want them to look tighter. I want them to play the way they did against Detroit in the first round last year, which is just tight, crisp, you know, get the 92 to 62 lead at the end of three and then mail it in. You know, I just want them to, to come out and play crisp and tight basketball. Um, the other thing I'm looking for is their rotations. They've got some question marks. You know, obviously, I don't think Ursan's capable of, of playing um, playoff basketball anymore. Corver has looked really good in the bubble, but obviously he's not much not much offensive end. Um, Wes Matthews didn't play much in the bubble either, so 
they've got some guys they've got to work back into you know playoff form very 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 quickly so that's the other thing I'm looking for is Corver, Wes Matthews, and George Hill in particular. You know, can they can they step up and be consistent on a nightly basis? And then can someone, they, can, an X factor, whether that's Dante or Eric Bledsoe, someone show us some scoring punch? You know, when when Giannis and Chris have to sit or are in foul trouble. So it's Christmas. It's a little bit of the rotations and the, and the vets getting ready. And you know, someone show me some scoring now that's not named Chris or or um for Giannis mm. but um yeah all eyes kind of hate to say it, but I, I wanted to play like they played in, in the first round last year but you know we'll see they've not looked crisp as no I think you look to be honest I think it's just no injuries at this point and you just build up and, and start to see some signs and some positive play from some of these other um rotation guys and and I guess allow but to feel confident with an eight, eight nine-man rotation going into the second and third rounds where obviously things are going to get much tougher. Um, looking at Toronto and the Nets, uh, who we, we spoke at length about Toronto, we watched the Nets together today. I thought they played some okay basketball um, against uh, Portland, in a, you know, and credit to the Nets for turning up today, uh, unlike the, some of the other teams that have played uh, some of those are teams in the chasing the eight spot that sort of didn't show up and, and weren't that competitive uh, in recent times. At least the Nets showed up and, and gave them a game. But I can't see a scenario, again, talking earlier where we've got you know, Toronto playing at that same high level every single night. I can't see the Nets getting to that level uh, at any stage. Maybe they take a game off them, but really I think this is going to be another pretty uninteresting series given the Nets' injury problems. Uh, the fact that obviously no Kyrie, no Spencer Dinwiddie, no KD, uh, and, and Jared Allen's out there is like having four and a half players out there on the court. Well, yeah, no DeAndre Jordan, no Wilson Chandler. Go If there's one takeaway, it's that you know, there's there's some depth there. There's some players, right? There's some players there, and you know, tip your hat to t- guys like Tyler Johnson, who's not never going to get another contract like he did. You know, he, he looks like an NBA player. So, uh, in TLC, Lawu Cabarro had a fantastic bubble as under the radar. So, tip your hat to Jacques Vaughn, who's had a tough, tough job. You know, picking up the interim job from Kenny Atkinson, and then getting these guys ready. They were five in the bubble and could have mm-hmm. easily won today's game. They said no. They have no bulk. <coughs> Excuse me. Nobody inside to bang. There's no size whatsoever. So if I'm if I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan, I'm actually feeling pretty good about about the the hopes for next year with Katie and Kyrie back. And they got a lot of players, a lot of interesting players who would be valuable um, rotation pieces. So yeah, I think they're you know the Nets are fine. You know, mm. and but they won't. I don't imagine they'll take a game from Toronto just because Toronto's defense is so good. Um, I don't imagine in 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 Nets defense so bad. I, I don't imagine they'll take a game, but um, but they're spirited. They're going to play hard. I mean, like I said to you on text message, John Vaughn's coaching for his job, and I think there's a lot of guys also, um, like whether it's Tyler Johnson or TLC, um, uh, or you know, kind of playing for. They're showcasing their talents and they're playing freaking hard. Kuruk's getting big minutes. Uh, you know, Joe Harris is, if I'm not mistaken, an unrestricted free agent. You know, he's, he's looked really sharp. So there's a, guy, there's a lot of guys there, a lot of professionalism, a lot of guys playing for something. So I tip my hat to the Nets, actually, Daz. They've, they've looked like a, a real professional squad, unlike, you know, 
Sacramento or New Orleans <laughs> well, know, I, or Washington in this bubble. <laughs> yeah, I, I think next season, certainly, that you would expect they're going to be a top four team if they can maintain their health. Uh, and I know I'd love to see Jacques Vaughan get the job. He's experts, player and coach. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought he was a little bit hard done by in Orlando uh, when he coached there as well. So it'd be good to see him get another another opportunity uh, yeah. to be a head coach in the yeah. NBA. But I agree, they're not going to be um, very competitive against the Raptors in their current iteration. But next, ne- it's all about next no. season for the Nets at the moment. Uh, Celtics, Sixers, obviously the big news for the Sixers has been Ben Simmons' injury. Uh, he actually did that in that Spurs game I referenced. Uh, they came back and, and held on to win that. There's some sort of suggestion, I guess, that at least the Sixers can now have a look at this team with Ben Simmons and go, all right, how, how does this team fit together with no Ben Simmons? And maybe they look at uh, thinking about trading him in the offseason or whatever that might be. I mean, do you, do you sort of buy into that a little bit that at least you can sort of look at this and see, well, how is this team going to operate when it's just Embiid on the court? Um, or are they sort of locked into those two now and you, and you need to sort of get the best out of them? Yes and no. Look, I, I, it's yes in the theoretical um, the the most uh, one of the most exhausting conversations is, is a fit of those two guys. So yes, of him and Simmons, so that that fit issue is well known, well documented. So yes, it's good to see. However, you know, tip my hat to Australia here. Brett Brown just smells a lot like Jason Kidd does. I don't, I don't know if I trust him to be able to put together, you know, enough of a a system, strategy, philosophy, rotation around Joel Embiid to maximize him. I, I don't. I just haven't seen evidence that he can do that. I say yes, theoretically. I think the Joel does fit better on a team absent someone like Ben, a ball-dominant guy who can't shoot. But will Brett Brown optimize it? I don't know. Now, that being said, Boston's quite small. And due respect to Daniel Tyson and Nez Kantar, I think Joel Embiid could go for 40 and 20. Uh, in, in or 45 25 you know he could have you know Giannis and Giannis like numbers in that series and so uh, if you're Boston you're definitely not taking them lightly um, but no question that that Simmons especially on the defensive end against Brown and, and Tate and that's a massive loss right um, or even swarming and, and, and um, swallowing up you know Kemba who's not looked terrific so it's a massive loss on the defensive end as no question but I think on the offensive end, you might see some stuff open up for <clears throat> for Josh and Tobias. So that's always going to be interesting, right? There's no love lost between those two franchises, obviously. So that's why that will be entertaining. And just we're all hoping that Embiid is healthy. He's had a bit of an ankle and a bit of a hand thing against Toronto. So he just always seems to be banged up Embiid. But if he actually plays for that series and, again, plays – with the fire that he tends to tends to play with, that could be really interesting. Um, I didn't watch a lot of the Celtics, I'll be honest. Um, I try to uh, only watch what I have to of of Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens and the the army of sycophants that is the the media that covers them. But uh, you know, um, the one thing that did jump out at me, I'll give them a bit of credit, is man, Gordon Hayward, dude, he's got no explosiveness and he cannot finish. That dude couldn't finish through um, Thon Maker's little brother, but he has—he's he, got almost the Derek Rosian like he's worked out how to maximize his game, knowing that he can't leap anymore and explode. And he's looked really smart and really efficient. And 
is a really good playmaker and a really good passer and a really good cutter. So again, I do have a bit of, if you didn't have the six uniform on, I got a place in my heart for guys who go through devastating injuries and come back from it. So he's looked good, Daz. I got to say he's looked, he doesn't look like old Gordon Hayward. He probably never will be that guy, but you know, tip your hat. That's, that's gotta be a big thing for Boston, especially as Kemba's had a bit of a wobble here with his knee. And so they'll absolutely need that playmaking in the, in the backcourt. So I don't know who are you, if everyone's healthy, who are you picking in that series? Obviously with no Ben Simmons, who do, who do you like in that? Oh, series? it's Boston. Boston, Boston easily. I think Philly's got no depth. Oh, really? Right. I think Boston will win yeah. that in five yeah. games. I honestly do. Um, I just oh, think, really? Yeah. 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 I, I can't, I just think, look, who, who's Boston's fifth, uh, sorry, who's Philly's fifth best player? Is it Thibault? Is it, is it Mark Scott? Like and and then you you know you you got the question whether those guys well they're relying on, on Fiebel and Milton yeah 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 mm-hmm. and Shake Milton who has yeah. hit some shots from time to time uh, to be fair to him but he's not a guy you're going to trust uh, to play big minutes surely in a playoff series I just don't trust Brett Brown I'll be honest I just I just I think he's I think he's had his use by date is is kind of run by now, granted I think most of that problem is on is on Elton Brand, the front office, constructing that roster. You know, if you've got Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris and Al Horford, those three guys alone should get you like the five or six seed in the East, right? And then add in Embiid and Simmons, like on paper, right, with the right coach, it just seems so obvious that team is a should be a top two or three seed at least. So there's no question there's, there's a lot of coaching that, again, it just the system has not been optimized for these guys. So... I don't know if I trust him in the playoffs either, especially with little Brainiac, um, Brad Stevens. But again, what I did see when Giannis just bullied everyone on Boston, if Embiid can get that same, if they do a lot of high post stuff and get him the ball on the short roll and just, so he's not always facing up, they can find ways to, to get him in transition and going towards the basket. He could have a massive, massive series. And if they let him crash the offensive boards, don't ask him to sprint back on D and, and kill Boston the offensive glass. I think it can be, I think that series could go six or seven if, if Embiid plays 38 minutes a night, which is often a big if, isn't it? Hmm. But, um, well, I think the yeah, other thing and, is, and, and who knows? Uh, yeah, Horford's yeah. not Horford anymore. Like that's the other, that's the other point I'd make. So we're looking at Al Horford still thinking this is the same guy that, that was there in, in Boston for a number of years. And it's just not the case. So that, that's the area I have with Philly. I just think you're, oh, you're man. sitting there with, with Embiid, Harris, and Richardson. Yep, they're all going out as well as you can expect. But uh, Horford's just not the same player anymore. He's a different stage of his career. And I just think well, Boston's got them yeah. with consistency. Well, I, I hope that's not the case. I think that evidence suggests you're right about that, especially at the, in the year one of a four-year, $100 billion contract. That could be a freaking entross. With a declining cap, couldn't that could be a massive, massive hindrance to them? But part of me says, though, might play off Al. Is it, you know, is there a different focus and intensity to to Horford again when there's no Simmons to have to manage? That's the other thing. He needs fucking managing and calming down, and there'd be some relief and some freedom, I think, playing without Ben. And I think maybe that will benefit Al quite a lot, or his voice will carry a lot more. Um, so we'll see if, if playoff playoff Horford can go for you know if he can do twelve and ten a night would be a massive win in twenty two minutes and 
So let's let's finally talk in the East. There's about the four or five matchup: the Miami Heat and the Indiana Pacers. I haven't caught even one second of the Heat in the um, in the bubble, to be honest. And they went uh, at the moment. They're uh, they're five and two, I think, um, or sorry, four and three in the bubble. So from that point of view, um, they've been around about the five hundred mark. Um, sorry, three and four. I, I correct myself again. Uh, the paces they'll been five and two. That's who I was looking at originally uh, in in the bubble. And went six and two this morning by beating the, the Rockets. And obviously, TJ Warren's been a big story there. Do you think, can TJ Warren continue this on through the playoffs and then and get them past the heat, do you think? Nah. <laughs> In a word, nah. You're not buying. You're not buying Indiana, the TJ it's Warren. Interesting. It's, like it's, it's, a, it's a miniature version of Philadelphia where you lose a critical player like De, De Sabonis. What that does is completely change the way they play and it unlocks someone like TJ Warren, right? Because Sabonis clogs up the mid-range, clogs up the high post, has that face-up game, you know, 15 feet out, can do that nice spin move, but he clogs up the mid-range. It's where TJ Warren has absolutely thrived, right? But that's also, of course, of course now in the bubble, um, it's all been run and gun and not much defense, and suddenly TJ Warren shooting three-pointers as well. So it's been, um, you know, they sacrifice, obviously, the interior, the interior defense and, and the defensive rebounding, which has killed Indiana when, when Miles Turner is on the floor with a bunch of little guys and TJ Warren play a lot of four Daz. Um, but no, I, I think, I think the likes of, of Bam and even the strength of Jimmy and the length of uh, even Duncan Robinson and even the bloody Linux of the world. I think, I think Miami's going to feast on the interior and, and Indiana just doesn't have enough perimeter defense to contain hero Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson have looked really good Daz um, in the bubble. They're shooting. I don't have the stats in front of me at the moment, but they're shooting terrific. I've watched the Heat a few times. Um, so the Heat look really good. The, the Heat are the Heat. They're Spolstra. They're like Toronto of the South. They're just always ready. You know exactly what you're going to get. Um, they've got some shit going on with Jimmy, though. He missed a couple of games for, you know, internal reasons. So there's just always, you know, the Jimmy factor, which can torpedo them. You know, game of zones like where he'll just come out and kill all of his teammates. Um, but, um, but I think I would be tipping Miami pretty handily in that, in that one, just on a pure talent alone, and the size again, the size advantage they're going to have against um, Indiana, who plays a lot of Aaron Holiday, a lot of Miles Turner at the five with TJ next to him at the four. Their backup is Jakar Sampson at the five. They're just going to get, they could get feasted on in the interior. So. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we'll see. I, I, it's I, interesting. I've got. I, I think Indiana's going to win that series. I think that's our first disagreement. I, I like the paces here. Really? Well, really? I just. I don't. I'm not a believer that's in fine. this. I think Miami's offense. I don't think you go. I mean, I think when you're relying on rookies as much as they're relying on rookies, let's see it in the playoffs. And I'm not a Jimmy Butler fan. I never have been. So I'm not a believer in, in what Butler's going to bring to the table. He could implode the whole thing within two games, Daz. 
Um, you just you've got no idea what you're going to get from him. Um, I do think he, he, crashing the boards is going to be interesting because Miles Turner is just an historically bad defensive rebounder for a for a center, which is just inexplicable when you sort of see the size of the guy. I mean, it's not that he's big and bulky; but he's certainly tall enough to get grab more rebounds than he does. But I just I think the the offense I, I think the the Indiana offense is more sustainable. And the fact that you let's let's hope they get something out of Malcolm Brogdon, he can stay upright for the series as well. Um, I think that's going to make a bit of change, and, I, and it's a bit of a red flag to me that the biggest, the, the number one scorer from Miami in the bubble's been Tyler Hero. Like they've been relying on that, and they're relying on him. They're relying on uh, Duncan Robinson, as you pointed out. Uh, and you know some of the other rookies. Um, who's the rookie point guard that they had? Um, I've got it up here. Non Kendrick. Nunn. Kendrick Nunn, like he's sort of. Kendrick. Yeah, he he's sort of wavered a little bit after that really really strong start. Um, does Iguodala have anything left in the tank? I don't I don't think so. But again, we'll see that in the playoffs. I'm just yeah. I, I'm not I'm not buying Miami at the moment. Even though I was, you know, reasonably high on them before the bubble. Um, to some extent, I think I, I just think they're a matchup team too. I think they match up well on certain terms and not as well on other terms. I'm not sure this is going to be the great matchup for them um, that you might think it would be. It is. Yeah, look, I, I think it's a fair point about Kendrick Nunn. He actually hasn't looked good either, to be fair. But they've got Dragic, they've got Jimmy. I think they've got enough of that sort of uh, playmaking and run the offense type of types. And, and again, that what they do is I hear you about Hero and Robinson, but they're not asked to do much more than what they do, which is they're just elite shooters who run and make you chase. And so I, I think that's something that it, it sort of, um, uh, there's low variability to that, or, you know, exactly what you're going to get from these guys night in and night out. And it would take sort of an elite defensive effort. I think maybe not elite, but a really great um, perimeter defensive effort to slow those down. And so a lot of that becomes how healthy is Vic, how engaged is Vic Oladipo, um, remember he wasn't supposed to play in the bubble and he decided not to play. <laughs> then it was, then he learned that, well, he might not get his money if he doesn't show up and play. And so suddenly he's okay to play. Like the, at the beginning of the bubble, there was a lot of questions around Vic and his engagement with the team. And so he's, is he there in, in body, but not there in spirit is kind of what I'm seeing with the, with all the depot. So that for me is the other kind of um, the house of cars on the Indiana side is if TJ Warren stopped, shooting 50% from three and Vic kind of, you know, they hit some hard knocks and, and Vic isn't, isn't, isn't all the way there. And there's, and there's no Sabonis. I think they're also a, you know, that's also a team that's not really geared for a, a long playoff push either. So I'm, I'm pretty confident with, with Miami, but maybe with a nice gentleman's bet on that one, then Daz, it's nice to disagree every now and again. Mm. Oh, look, I know I, I don't think either team's going to be in the Bucks too far. Um, in the second matchup, although I do think Miami match up a little bit better with the Bucks than what the Pacers do. So if I'm a Bucks fan, I'm probably rooting for the Pacers to get through that series if I want an easier second round oh, series. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Miami love playing the Bucks. They're just not afraid of them. Yeah, Jimmy and, and Bam at the bio and, and Dragic is famous, you know, um, <clears throat> trying to kill Chris Middleton in, in the regular season, like. Dragic is kind of borderline dirty play, so there's there's loss there either, and they're they'll be ready, they'll absolutely be ready for Milwaukee. So that won't be an easy series if they if they get out of it. I think I think Miami will take a couple games at least. So um, but yeah, well you never know, you, you never know. I'm 
We'll okay. see how that, I love the, the four or five is always a good, four is always a good one, isn't it? That's, that's yeah. Four or five. Well, let's, let's move to the infinitely more interesting Western conference and the four or five there, which is, <laughs> um, which is also going to be probably the, the, the series of the first round in terms of interest. It actually might not be in terms of basketball, depending on how you, you like the aesthetics of the the Houston Rockets. Um, I am rooting for the OKC Thunder more than any other team. I think there's in the NBA in this first round now that I haven't got the Spurs involved. Um, how do you see this one playing out? Because Houston committed to the small ball lineup, which has been surprisingly effective uh, at both ends. To be honest, I mean, I've I've been surprised at how how well it's gone. Because um, I thought teams would maybe figure this out. I'm still convinced over a seven-game series, teams will figure it out. And certainly a guy like Chris Paul's going to be able to figure out how to attack the weak links um, in them defensively. But how do you see this series playing out? Oh, man. Um, how much time do we have? Uh, this is this is fascinating on every level. You want drama and backstory? you got Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, right? You know, ex- exchanging teams in the first round. Uh, and you got all the all the history there. Um, you got the style of play contrast. We got the, you know, the bruising and been really effective. Stephen Adams on the inside. If we'd been what PJ Tucker, who yeah. Adams would have what four inches, five inches, and fifty pounds on him, and and Covington would be a waif compared to to him. So you got the the fascinating matchup challenges, um, and then of course you just have the you know, the style, the style of play. And for me, the, one of the questions I have is I was just trying to look it up is what's the, is the X factor here, Daz is the X factor on Roberson? Well, now, I was going to, I was going to say that as well, because he's back now. He is back, isn't he? That's what I thought. I saw him play. I was going to do a quick, quick check. Yep. Here's a news um, flash. Every game's getting better and better. Here's a news flash though. He still can't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. They don't need him to shoot. They just need him to close out on uh, Aaron Gordon, or sorry, Eric Gordon, and um, chase Russ around and, and and scare Harden off the ball every now and again. So, look, if he's um, if he's healthy and running around, that's that's a positive. Chris Paul, we know how he defends, and he's going to relish getting inside of James. I mean, um, I just want to see him and Harden every possession, Daz. Imagine how much talking is going to go on, how much shit is going to is going to be talked between those two. And if someone knows James Harden tendencies of better than well even better than Eric Bledsoe, it's going to be Chris Paul. So that's going to be fascinating. To it's going to be fascinating to see if this truly is Russ Westbrook's team, who's got the ball in his hands, Daz, when it's come down in crunch time, and Harden's been you know off ball, uh, whilst whilst Russ creates and makes space. Like is that going to be a positive for Houston is is Harden going to continue to support that or is he going to pout and demand the ball back in his hands and they turn into KD Russ you know part two um because everyone seems to have a problem with Russ eventually um so many so many interesting things to watch this one does and I have no idea how to pick it um I think if if Shea if Shea gets enough offensive punch and 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 Adam stays out of foul trouble and Roberson can play, you know, good 20, 20 at night, and Chris Paul is Chris Paul. I, I think there's – I think OKC are going to be a really annoying out. And then the defensive side is like, who's going to guard even Gallinari? Gar- Gallinari can easily shoot over the top of Covington, right? So kind of going 
even their stretch four is bigger than center. And so if, if Donovan can coach his way through that and, and find the mismatches and do enough defense, do enough defensively to disrupt, you know, Harden and Ross, uh, it's going to be a fascinating, well, that's got to be going to seven games. The key, the key is going to be you can't let the ball stick against Houston because they're manic on de- on defense and they're just trying to force steals and they're jumping the passing lanes. It's a little bit like what Miami used to do, um, but without the as good a mm. defensive players as what Miami had. And eventually, what you saw with Miami when they came up against that Spurs team is the ball was just moving around so quick the defence sort of ended up turning on itself. And the Bucks a little bit as well under Kidd, if you remember the way the Bucks played. That's the sort of what I'm seeing out of this Houston defence. And then throw teams yeah. for a game or two when you're seeing it for the first time. But I think the more you see of it, particularly, with, as I said, with a guy as high IQ as, as Chris Paul, I think they're going to be able to figure it out. And the more ball movement and just make sure that ball doesn't stick, I think they're going to find, find the right matchup each time down the court. And you're going to see them start rolling downhill the more on offense the more this series goes on. And on defense, I mean, I just looked up Robeson's stats on a random game, but he was plus seven against Miami in 10 minutes of play, Des. And actually shot two from three from the three-point range. So if he can come on, and I think what you're going to see too from this series is you look through this OKC team and there's just multiple guys that you can see on the, on any given night giving them 10 to 15 solid minutes. You know, and and the question I guess for Donovan's going to be, what is my rotation like? Is Ab- Abdel Nader going to come on and play fifteen minutes a night? Is it going to be Terence Ferguson? Is it? Well, I'd say Basley certainly going to be um, in there. Robeson, how much how much time's he going to get? Muscala, these guys, all of them are NBA level players. Um, who's going to see minutes? Who's going to see the floor? Is it going to depend on the matchups? Is it going to depend on the, who the other team sends out there? A lot of decisions that he's got to make to get that, those matchups right. Um, but I, I lean towards OKC in this series, Daz. And I think the, the final thing I would say before I throw back to you, the big question for Houston and what we've seen in the bubble is in close games, the ball is in the hands of Russell Westbrook. It's not in the hands of James Harden. First question to you is, do you see that continuing for Houston if, if those games get close? And who do you like in this series? Yeah, that's what I meant by when I said, will we'll continue to be Russell Westbrook's team in the fourth quarter? You're exactly right. The ball's been in Russ's hands and James has been off ball. Will that provide, will that become strife? Will that become tension between those two? Like what happened between Russ and KD? Or will Harden shut off? But it is, it is proven to be what we talked about the day that trade was made. Because the only way it could work is if Russ had the ball in his hands. And it's looked good, Daz. It has looked good. Imagine Harden, Harden standing in the corner waiting mm. with, with, um, with space as Russ sucks and collapses a defense. Or, uh, um, and, you know, the ball's been around the perimeter and then Harden gets it after the defense is broken down. Shit, my money's on James Harden. Now, that being said... So I think that will continue. I think that I think only has to keep that going because what we all know, Russ off ball is a disaster. He loses interest, loses focus, can't shoot. So I think that has to continue. The big question is, will, will Harden be okay with that? Um, <coughs> is Schroeder still hurt? Do we know if he's back or is he coming back? So I think he's kind of a key because uh, one of the questions, right, is will, will OKC just be able to will they be able to score enough? And I think Schroeder has had such a good season. Um, 
that he's such a spark plug and quite an underrated guy for six year uh, um, six man of the year awards. But he's a key piece if he's back, and I don't actually don't know if he yeah, is. Yeah, no, he's back. He's um, definitely so that's, back. That's one... <laughs> is he back? Did he play against Philly? I, I didn't see that game against Philly. Uh, he's in. He he's in quarantine um, at the well, moment. That's a huge boost. He's come back. Yeah, he's, in he's come back in that's from, right. from. I think he got a little minor surgery, and he's back in the quarantine after return to the bubble. Yeah, and then the last point, which you alluded to was uh, I, Donovan, will need to pull pull the right strings between Terrence Ferguson, Hamadou Diallo, Lou Dort, and Andre Roberson, four guys who can seriously defend the perimeter, you know, once when they're locked in. And so I think that's going to be fascinating. Will they be able to get, you know, um, make life miserable for Harden and for Aaron Gordon, keep saying Aaron Gordon, Eric Gordon in particular, who's also back, you know, and their shooters and, and the closeouts, so that, that for me is they've got a lot of potential defensive weapons to make Houston's offense just a little bit more inefficient, right, to turn their, you know, 38% shooting into 35%. So, look, I'm, I'm cheering hard for OKC. There's no secret about that. Um, so I'll, I'll be pulling for OKC in a very biased way, Daz. I don't, I don't know anyone outside of Houston who's pulling for that, that bloody team. I just want to see close games because be the honest. drama... The drama of close games in this series is going to be better than the drama of any other series, I think. Except for maybe if, if Lakers, Blazers get close and you're seeing Dame and, and, LG, and, and LeBron uh, go back and forth. But if these games are close with you know five minutes to go, it's going to be must-watch, uh, whether you like the way Houston go about it or not. Oh, yeah. Oh, the cockiness of Harden versus Chris Paul. I, I just That is just, that's utopia. But That's can you imagine... Especially the, now that they're ex-teammates. But picture this. So it's a one-possession game and Russ does one of his Russ things and just wildly throws up an air ball and James Harden was standing open in the corner and the, the camera pans to James Harden just staring at Russ and then probably one wishing that Chris Paul was back in his team rather than Westbrook. That, that's the moment that I'm potentially looking forward to uh, in this That's season. exactly right. So... Will Harden tolerate Russ being Russ, or is he going to go nuclear the way KD did and leaving <laughs> leaving OKC and just <coughs> sorry, there's the cold rearing its ugly head. Well, yeah, it's it, going ape shit. The day the, it's Dan Tony's last stand as well, so that's another little little um, you know, extra tip. Could be. Certainly be his last game. It will certainly be his last stand in Houston. I can't see him being back next year. Uh, but I imagine he'll get a job elsewhere in the NBA. But uh, but but certainly his last stand in Houston. So let's let's turn now to the Denver Utah series, the three six matchup. I think we both lean towards Denver here. I've been a bit underwhelmed with the Jazz. <laughs> I kind of feel like as I don't know if you agree with me that Donovan Mitchell has kind of hit a bit of a ceiling on his career. I mean, he just, the development doesn't seem to be coming along quite at the moment, the way we would have liked to have seen from him. Utah's looked really ordinary, Daz. Conley's made some shots, but he's not old Mike Conley. Um, so I, I think stick a fork in Utah. When Bogdanovich went down, that was a critical, critical loss. He was the X factor for them. He's the guy that could drop 30 on any given night. And they just don't have that now, which puts all the pressure back on Conley and, and Donovan Mitchell, and again, when you're relying on two guys who are six foot one, six foot two, maybe, you know, that's just that's just a lot to ask, mm. you know, in the playoffs. 
Yeah. And so to that point about Donovan Mitchell, I agree. I agree. I think he's the poor kids have been asked to do too much, too much ball handling, too much shot creation, too much clutch performance, just too much. There's just not enough around him, I, I think, at the moment. Not to mention the little bit of the strife with, with Rudy. I think it's no secret that Joe Ingles has regressed and not had a very good season. He looks a step slow, uh, a step or two slow this year, and does not look terrific. Um, they just, eh, and boy, they just rely a lot on Jordan Clarkson. That's not a lie. Like, they rely on him heavily. Well, they, they've been a team in the last few years that have played in spurts. Like, they'll, they'll have a 10-15 game stretch where they go, like, 12-3, and three and you go, wow, the Jazz are playing some really good basketball. And then the next game, they'll be 6-9. and nine. And you go, what's happened to them? So the consistency is just not there for whatever reason. Maybe that's part of having a young guy as your best player. But um, it just seems like they've they've kind of hit their ceiling, which is around that 40 mark, maybe pushing up to 50 if everything goes right. But I, I think they're firmly in the middle of the Western Conference and they need something else to break um, for them to take the next step. And I can't see them getting past uh, the first round of the pass. I like Denver here. I think Denver's been playing... No. Yeah, I think Denver's been playing some pretty decent basketball um, in the bubble, and, and I like them in this one. We'll wrap it up pretty quickly here, Daz. I'll let you go and have a drink so you can um, quench your thirst yeah. from the cough. Quickly, Sorry, man. quick tips on LA on the Clippers, Mavs, um, and I'll ask you a quick question without nose. Why, why is Luka Doncic not known and not noticed as a bigger ball hog? As Russell Westbrook and James Harden, I don't, I don't understand that this is the biggest ball hog in the NBA, but yet doesn't cop a, a one fiftieth of the criticism of either of those two guys in terms of their style of play. But can you see the Mavericks getting, um, getting too competitive against the Clippers? So to your first question, um, uh, what's his? I'm just looking up the usage stats. What's um, Luca's usage is at? 36.7 that sounds very Giannis like doesn't it um that's a really great question Harden Harden's usage is bear with me I'll get this in two seconds back on my phone now advanced his usage is da, 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 36 <laughs> <laughs> yep exactly the same yeah style there's style points right there's more to basketball than science there's art and science right and it's it's the art the flair with which Doncic plays, the, the joy which he plays, he's always smiling. Um, there's that, right? So there's no question there's a style of play aspect to it. Probably second thing is he's still kind of new and fun. He's like the new shiny toy. And we love the new shiny toy until he gets great. Then we'll tear him down like what the world's doing with Giannis. Um, and so once he wins his MVP, then we'll call him a piece of shit, selfish ball hog like we're doing with Harden. So there's just that newness and freshness to him we got no reason not to like him um i would love not to believe this to be true i don't know because he's white um we give it you know we just we we view it differently so racial bias especially amongst the the national media i think there could be a way that he's covered like this this darling this poster child for the league um look james has never done himself any favors with his bitching and whining in the media and his bitching and whining about on the floor he doesn't do himself any favors like who like how is he winning any hearts and minds he's not so casual fans hardcore fans don't like james harden 
So I think he, in Harden's, what Harden has to own is he doesn't do himself favors, mate. Um, this entitlement mentality he has, the, the ads in the newspaper in Milwaukee about how he's, you know, better than Giannis. <laughs> uh, he's just he's just so unlikable. He's easy not to like, right? So, um, plus I think then there's the, uh, I, I think Harden also got this, right? It's D'Antoni. It's the system. It's extreme, you know, whereas, and it's this extreme kind of outlier basketball theory, whereas Luka comes in, quote unquote, playing this really conventional drive and dish with a lot of movement and a lot of motion under a very conventional but spectacular coach and Rick Carlisle. I think there's just a, you know, a safeness and a condition going, wow, he's created this miraculously efficient offense um, in, in a quote-unquote conditional and traditional sort of way. And the fact that I think Luca gets credit and should get some credit for unlocking uh, Porzingis and bring Porzingis back, you know, to where he's been, he's been spectacular in the bubble. Daz. He's, he's looked amazing like like Dame Lillard like pulling up from 30 feet without hesitation. So I think there's some of the, the Luca and and Zinger getting some shine on that as well. So yeah, all those reasons, all those reasons. So yeah, you're right. He's a giant ball hog, but yeah, give it time. Well, and he's and he's an unabashed stat chaser as well, which is another thing that people that have been picking up on. Watch the watch the Dallas Mavericks play and watch this guy scab rebounds after missed free throws. And it is exactly what Russ Westbrook's been doing for years, and he never gets called out yeah. on it. So I'm waiting yeah. for. I don't like watching Doncic play. I'll be honest with you, Daz. But maybe that's the Spurs fan in me coming out in a long, long time. Um, His shooting splits are very similar to Harden's as well. Like they're not. They keep they keep using this word efficient, which is a lot. It relies on free throw rate. These aren't great shooters. He's not a great shooter. I don't know what his percentage is from downtown. His percentage but, is thirty percent. Um, what do you got, Lucas? That's what I mean. He's literally, I think, for up until when the bubble started, the same three-point percentage as Giannis, right? Yet he's he's thought about as this great step-back shooter. And I go, I don't know why. Is that just because it's sexy? But Giannis gets criticized for it. He's the exact same percentage, I think. So it's it's the uh, he's the darling. He's marketable. Um, he's he can sell he can sell casual fans. Daz, uh, I think that's the other way just to look at it very commercially is that he's. He's a very marketable product, and so why why say anything bad about such a marketable product? So, uh, and then in terms of the matchup with Dallas versus um, Clippers, uh, Dallas has no defense. There's just no way. Like I can't imagine they can't stop anybody. So they'll score some points, but I don't think that will be much of a series, Daz. Um, there might be some fun games when Luke and, and Zinger get it going, but I don't imagine if, if Paul George and Kawhi are locked in. That's going to be much of a much of a threat, and if Trez clears, um, I think he's also back in quarantine as well. So once he comes back, I think that's another just another factor on the interior. Um, so I think Powell is gone, isn't he? Dallas's Powell hasn't played, if I'm not mistaken. So they're they're down there, their rangy center. Yeah, so I, I think that's going I like to be the another. That one. Yeah, that'll be another gentleman sweep. I think five games. Yeah, five. it'll be five. I think I think Dallas will get yeah. one. I think yeah. Luca will light him up one night when Kawhi only plays like 25 minutes, and you know, so Clippers will win the first two. Dallas might win a game three, and then they'll close them out, something like that, or they'll win a game four. Yeah. But no, I'm not too. Um, it's just no defense. They they got no defensive talent. That includes Luca and 
Zinger is a decent rim protector, but he's decent. He's not. He's not great. He's decent. Is he's tall? Yeah, and, he's not and... strong. He doesn't hold his position very well. He doesn't have any bulk next to him. He's just kind of got nothing. You know, and all the... due respect to um, what's his name, Maxi Kleber, is a nice little player, but yeah, he's like he's like young Ilya Silva. He's just a role player. But um, well, the final series Clippers does. Five. Yeah, the finals does Lakers Portland. We watched Portland today. I think this is going to be very similar to the series we just talked about. There's no defensive uh, ability on on the on the Blazers. I just can't see them being able to stop the Lakers uh, when it matters in those series. I I don't either. Like, but although that being said, the, the outlier stuff of what Dame and CJ and Trent can do, a game or two, if Dame goes like nine for thirteen from downtown, goes goes there's just nothing you can do. Because the Lakers shooting is pretty shit, Daz. Right? They're kind of like the buck that way. They can get the shots up, but they're not a very good three-point shooting team. And so, it, if, if Portland's counting by threes for a whole game and, um, and Portland goes up by 20 in the third quarter, I can see L.A. letting them have one. But um, that's probably more interesting than real. Mm. I think once you see AD and, and LeBron locked in, I think you'll... I think the Lakers, to me, are starting to look I, a little bit like... See, this is starting to look a little bit like the Cavs did for a number of years in the Eastern Conference, where you can, if you, if you squint hard enough, you can talk yourself into one of those opponents taking the Lakers out. But the reality is, I think we're set up for Lakers Clippers uh, in, in the in the Western Conference Finals, um, and I just can't see how any of those other teams, you know, maybe Denver, everything fell right, but uh, but again, I, I think that's a bit of a stretch. I think we're we're looking at those two teams in the east, in the Western Conference and likely wraps uh, Bucks in the, in the in the East. So that your if you had to fill out your tournament bracket, you've got the one and two seed in both conferences in the finals. Is that or do you see? Do you think Boston can beat Toronto? Do you think? No, Denver I actually, Daz, I'm going to shock OKC you. OKC or Houston can beat. I'm I'm leaning towards Toronto going to the NBA Finals as it stands right at the moment. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. That would have. That doesn't offend me anymore. I'm I'm objective enough. I've I know basketball, and coming into the bubble, I had the Bucks probably like a a 35% chance to win the title. I go like a just slightly better one in three chance. Um, but I I have dropped that down now. I think no. Look, I've seen nothing from LA, the LA teams in the bubble that says they're any better. In fact, actually, my you know the, the Lakers and they they booked the Bucks a couple of days ago. Um, I think that I don't think Giannis played. No, he didn't play, but it was a. Uh, uh, but neither did um, neither did Lowry. Mm. So it was one of those games. No Giannis, no Lowry, and uh, they just ran they ran the Bucks off the court. I mean, in that second unit, just looked it just looked crazy. Like it's like like something like the Bucks didn't know what they were looking at. These long rangey guys everywhere. So that's when I said at the top of the show, kind of, I said their their versatility is almost the opposite to the perfect antidote to the Bucks, who are this unyielding, we're going to beat you our way, um, because it's so historically elite. And if we can't, then well, shame on us. And I think that's where the you've got the Swiss Army knife against the sledgehammer. You know, that's that's the matchup. So I don't I don't begrudge anyone who picks Toronto. I think that's a very valid. That's no longer a crazy take. That's a that's a valid valid take. Um, is will they be able to score enough though? That will be the question. And and yeah. you know, if the shooters' gyms are the gyms, I think that's a it's a scary reality for the Bucks to face into. So you're going Toronto versus whom? Toronto Clippers. <clears throat> it's going to be the Kawhi uh, revenge series for the for the Raptors. Wow, Raptors. that would be high drama. 
Eagles will take out the Lakers, yeah? I do. I, I think the Lakers, there's no... I just worry about the lack of depth, and I think if Clippers are going to have enough op, uh, weapons to throw at them, um, and they're going to have a little bit of... They're, they're, their ceiling's that little bit higher, I think, when everyone's firing. And I just... I, I think yeah. there's going to be moments with the Lakers where other guys outside not named Davis or James are going to be expected to hit shots and I just don't know who I trust within that lineup to actually make the shots uh, when it's so but we'll see I mean look it could just as easily be Lakers Lakers Bucks as well so nothing would surprise me from those four I think it's all a bit of a toss up that's a really one either LeBron versus Giannis or Kawhi versus the Clippers, or sorry, Kawhi versus the Raptors. Mm. I think those would be obviously the ratings for Bucks Lakers would be ten times out of <laughs> Clippers Raptors. But I well, think discount would, the Canada I ratings. Watch. The Canada ratings were actually pretty big last <laughs> year. Um, they were surprised at how well the, the finals rated when Toronto made it. Yeah, all right, fair enough. And maybe a lot of people on tune in to see the death of the the death of the dynasty. You know, just watching the the, the poor Dubs collapse under, you know, crippled kneecaps and torn Achilles but um yeah I'm I'm not make I can't make predictions I'm too emotionally too emotionally invested as um I also think of money though if I had to put money on it I would also put money on the Clippers like I'd still probably put money on the Bucks but man oh man I wouldn't put it on there confidently so my money would say Bucks versus Clippers but um nothing would surprise it wouldn't surprise me if Toronto beat them in six games again mm. um it wouldn't surprise me if if someone Middleton tweaked an ankle and the, the Heat beat him in seven games. Like it just nothing would surprise me at this point in time. Sad, sad, sadly to say. So yeah, I mean, um, I'll the, go Bucks Clippers. Well, the final point I make on the Raptors, and I think you already touched on it. The playing in the empty gym, really, they they're the team I think of those four teams that are going to um, benefit from that the most because they're a team that relies on those shooters getting hot. And I could see a game where they're Luke goes off for 32 points and just can't miss. And I think not having that home court advantage, playing in the empty gym and relying on those sort of shooters, I think that's going to advantage Toronto more than any of the other teams um, in in that little small bracket that we've identified there uh, to this point. But That's a great point. I, I think there's no question the Lakers and the Bucks have the most to lose by by, by that, for that fact, just losing their losing that fans and losing the home court and the travel you make the other teams do. That's a great point. It's a that's a big win for Toronto. Yeah. And again, I go. I've said it three times, but it's worth. It's it's impossible not to call it out. This is very likely to happen. All the data last year showed it. The data in the bubble shows it. It's a shooter's gym, and when you got Fred Van and Norm Powell and and even Lowry's had a good shooting season, and 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 it's kind of go. They've got a lot of advantages because they got guys who can. They can they can drop the drop it in from deep. So, hmm. yeah, yeah. I don't. I I think if you're putting unemotional money on the East, I think you're probably getting good returns on Toronto. I think it's probably a good like literally a good bet. Hmm. So, all right, Daz. Okay, mate. Thanks for ending with that one, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. All right, Daz. I'll let you go, That's mate. Okay. Hopefully, you feel it. We'll 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 do this every Friday now, uh, around the same time, and and catch up and see where the games are at. It's a great week. idea. All right, mate. All, All right, right, I'll talk I, soon. And just to be clear, I will I will not be waking up at 3 a.m. to watch <laughs> Bucks Orlando. Just to be clear, I'm a I'm a massive fan. I'm not that massive. You're not a true 3 a.m. Dazzly okay. start times. Just mental. <laughs> yes. Okay, buddy. Take All right, care. Mate.
Talk soon. Bye. See you, bud. Bye.